Compass Media Networks. This is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. Trump petitions the Supreme Court. Good morning, I'm Gordon Deal, along with Nicole Murray. On this Thursday, January 4th, glad you could be with us. Here's what we have for you this hour. Former President Trump is asking the Supreme Court to overturn a Colorado ruling that could keep him off the state's primary ballot. Newly unsealed court documents in the Jeffrey Epstein case include unredacted names of the sex offenders' associates. The Surgeon General in Florida says COVID vaccines are not appropriate for use in human beings, citing widely debunked concerns. And about 20% of food we buy at the grocery store ends up in the garbage. Hear how to be less wasteful and save money. I think a lot of people do what's called aspirational grocery shopping. Maybe you hit the aisles and you feel inspired by different things. Um, But what that leads to is, you know, rotting food in your refrigerator or things in the back of a freezer that have been there for years and you've completely forgotten about. Imani Moise at the Wall Street Journal on how that rotting bag of spinach in your fridge is costing you. A court has begun releasing dozens of previously sealed court documents related to Jeffrey Epstein. The judge said last month that she was ordering the records released because much of the information within them is already public. The disclosure in federal court in New York stems from a defamation suit filed back in 2015 by Virginia Jeffrey against Ghislaine Maxwell, who was later sentenced to 20 years in prison. Jeffrey accused Epstein and Maxwell of trafficking her to powerful people, including Prince Andrew. Among the high-profile names are some known Epstein associates, including Prince Andrew, Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, ABC legal analyst Kim Whaley. Anybody who's listed in it here has not been charged with anything, and there's been no proof against them, so we have to be really careful about drawing conclusions about them. In one unsealed deposition, an Epstein victim is asked by a lawyer if Epstein ever talked about Clinton. She replied, quote, He said one time that Clinton likes them young, referring to girls. Clinton was not accused of wrongdoing and did not object to the unsealing. More documents are expected in the coming weeks. Republican presidential frontrunner Donald Trump has asked the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn the decision by Colorado's highest court that removed him from the state's 2024 presidential primary ballot. The filing comes one day after the former president appealed the decision made by Maine's Secretary of State that also bars him from appearing on that state's primary ballot. Both rulings said his conduct violates a so-called insurrection clause in the Constitution. Maine Secretary of State Shenna Bellows. The qualifications for president under the United States Constitution are not a menu. They're not optional. My job is to follow the Constitution and the law. The brief cited Trump's use of the word peaceful several times in his public statements on January 6th to rebut findings by Colorado courts that he engaged in insurrection by encouraging a mob of his supporters to attack the Capitol, where Congress, of course, was meeting to certify President Biden's victory in the November 2020 election. The Wall Street Journal says the high court is widely expected to agree to hear Trump's appeal. Donald Trump is making serious headway with the block of the GOP that's among the most skeptical of his 2024 bid, and that's Republican senators. The latest from Burgess Everett, Congressional Bureau Chief at Politico. Burgess, what's happening on the Hill? Pretty big consolidation behind former President Donald Trump. And as you just noted, not a single primary or caucus voter has cast a vote yet. Uh, As we're speaking, uh, Tom, Tom Cotton of Arkansas became the 19th Republican senator to back former President Donald Trump. And perhaps that's not surprising to some people because of Trump's 
large lead in the polls, the fact that he was a nominee twice in a row. But in the Senate, a lot of these Republicans were ready to move on two and a half-ish years ago after January 6th. I think even a year ago, there was a hunger to see if a candidate like Ron DeSantis or somebody else could step up and really give Trump a fight for the nomination. And had that happened, you might see a lot more neutral senators or perhaps several endorsing somebody other than Trump. But at this moment, uh, nobody else has any Senate endorsements after Tim Scott, uh, the senator from South Carolina, and Governor of North Dakota, Doug Burgum, both dropped out. Uh, and there's scant endorsements for Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis in the House, too. So uh, former President Donald Trump has a huge lock on support on Capitol Hill, which is very important to him, even though if it doesn't always move voters. Uh, the endorsements are a huge priority to show that he can consolidate the Republican Party in a way that he struggled to do in 2016. Who else is recently on board? Yeah, you got um, Josh Hawley, who is one of the people who led the election objections in 2020 to Joe Biden's win. Uh, and then you have some people like Roger Wicker of Mississippi, who's an ally of Mitch McConnell, and Katie Britt of Alabama, who's a new senator, kind of a fresh face for the Republican Party. So it's, it's a real mix. And then you throw Tom Cotton in there, and that's somebody who may have uh, national aspirations for himself in future years. He's still pretty young. Mm. Uh, so you're, you're really seeing this this happen very quickly. And I think with Iowa coming out, you can see it accelerate even further if, if Trump can uh, capitalize on his polling wins and win that first contest. We're speaking with Burgess Everett, Congressional Bureau Chief at Politico. His piece is called The GOP's Most Trump Skeptical Block Starts Falling in Line. That's a reference to Republican senators. So you mentioned Roger Wicker of Mississippi, the senator there who is endorsing President Trump and is a Mitch McConnell ally. Yet uh, Trump and the Senate Minority Leader uh, don't exactly swap holiday greetings. So, so how, how does that all factor in? Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's probably like the biggest elephant in the room for the Republican Party. If things go as they appear, they're going to go with Trump winning another nomination. Um, he has no relationship with Mitch McConnell at this point. Uh, they basically stopped talking in December 2020. Mitch McConnell gave a savage speech after January 6th, although you have to have a put a big put a big asterisk over it because Mitch McConnell voted to acquit Trump. Um, at his impeachment trial, which is why Trump is able to run for office today, because he was not convicted in that trial. So, look, I don't know if Mitch McConnell will even serve uh, as leader for another term, particularly if Donald Trump wins the presidency. Um, so that's all up in the air. And we, we know how Donald Trump feels about Mitch McConnell, too. He, he wants a new leader. He encouraged Rick Scott, the senator from Florida, to challenge Mitch McConnell last year. So I really think there's a huge point of tension in the party. Uh, but the, the key here is Mitch McConnell said he will endorse the Republican nominee. So if Trump wins the nomination, I think you could expect McConnell at least to give a sort of a pro forma endorsement. Why does Senate support matter if it does? Look, I think I think it matters more for the internal machinations of the Republican Party than it does for voters. Okay. Uh, you know, Trump, it matters to Trump. He, he's calling these guys up. He's asking for their support. Um, if you support him early, he may... Uh, support your preferred candidates later. I think a good example is J.D. Vance, who Trump supported in 2022 in the Senate race. J.D. Vance is supporting Bernie Marino uh, for Senate. He also was one of the first senators to endorse Trump's third bid. So guess who's endorsing Bernie Marino as well? Donald Trump. There's a definite um, give and take to the way these endorsements work. Do they influence voters? I'm not so sure, but Trump puts out these big lists of endorsements. They really matter to him. 
uh, and he dispenses them like political capital. Yeah. So, so to him, they are very important. Somebody in your story said something along the lines of, uh, yes, Trump has a dozen and a half endorsements from Republican senators, but that's only a dozen and a half. Yeah, and it's less than half the conference. And it's going to be, I think January is going to tell us a lot. Uh, if Trump wins Iowa and New Hampshire, do 20 more Republican senators endorse him? I think that's, you know, possible. Like, I think he could lock up the vast majority of the conference in the next month. But I think enough people are sort of uh, uh, undecided or staying neutral to give an opportunity to see, oh, does Nikki Haley win in New Hampshire? Well, then maybe I could try to affect the South Carolina primary. Thanks, Burgess. Burgess Everett, Congressional Bureau Chief at Politico. If you still have landline phone service, you may have noticed that your monthly bills have been skyrocketing. That's because the FCC no longer regulates copper lines, and phone companies are jacking up the price of their service. UMA, O-O-M-A, is an internet home phone service that lets you keep enjoying the safety and peace of mind of a home phone without paying an arm and a leg. In fact, with a one-time purchase of the UMA Tello, you get internet home phone service for free. All you pay are applicable taxes and fees. Unlike mobile phones, UMA has address-based 911, so dispatchers will know exactly where to find you in an emergency. And in the event 911 is called, UMA can send a text alert to loved ones. UMA even includes a free mobile app, so you can take your home number on the go. And don't worry, you can keep your phone number for a one-time fee or get a new one for free. Setting it up is easy. It takes less than 10 minutes. Stop paying too much for home phone service. Visit uma.com slash Gordon Deal today to get a special discount. That's uma.com slash Gordon Deal. Thanks for joining us. Welcome into Thursday. More than five dozen House Republicans are highlighting what they call an unmitigated disaster at the southern border. Yesterday, they traveled to the U.S.-Mexico border in Texas to point out what they said were failures of the Biden administration to stem record flows of migrants. Among them, House Speaker Mike Johnson, who led a delegation to Eagle Pass, Texas, where they toured a Border Patrol processing facility and spoke with local residents and sheriffs. It was estimated on our tour just a moment ago that if the Biden administration would reinstate just the Remain in Mexico policy, it could stem the flow by probably 70 percent or more. But he refuses to do it. President Biden last week dispatched top officials to talks in Mexico City. Senate negotiators are meeting in an effort to strike a bipartisan deal to revamp U.S. border policies. Under current immigration law, most migrants can't immediately be deported if they ask for asylum, even if they enter the country illegally. The bipartisan agreement now under negotiation in the Senate could make it easier to do so. 20 minutes now after the hour on This Morning, America's First News. Here's Nicole Murray. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. Court documents connected to accused sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein has been released to the public. The first set of documents includes nearly 200 names, including Epstein victims, former employees, people who traveled on Epstein's plane, and other types of associates. High-profile names include Donald Trump, Prince Andrews, and Bill Clinton. The judge who called for the the documents released said a lot of the information was already known by the public. ABC legal contributor Kim Whaley commenting on the case. It's a real failure. Uh, it's a shameful chapter in American history that not only did this happen, but it continued, notwithstanding the Justice Department's knowing that he was a threat to so many uh, victims. Jeffrey Epstein was charged with sex trafficking back in 2019 and took his own life while awaiting trial in jail. 
Number two. Former President Donald Trump's legal team has appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn the Colorado Supreme Court's decision to disqualify him from the state's 2024 presidential ballot. Trump's lawyers have also appealed a similar ruling from Maine Secretary of State Shenna Bellows. Both verdicts fell under the 14th Amendment. Bellows tells ABC she was just doing her job. I reviewed the weight of the evidence in the hearing and made the determination that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment does apply to the president and that the events of January 6 were not only tragic, uh, but qualified as an insurrection. Trump ballot eligibility in both states is being challenged after engaging in insurrection during the January 6th riots on the Capitol. Number three. A Nevada judge and a marshal were injured after being violently attacked by a defendant who threw himself over the bench while appearing in court. Delone Redden, who was being sentenced for aggravated battery, lunged at Judge Mary Kay Holthus for denying him probation and was preparing to sentence him to jail time. Holthus suffered some injuries but did not go to the hospital. The marshal was hospitalized but is in stable condition. A 13-year-old California boy has become the first player to officially beat the original Nintendo game Tetris. How? Well, he broke it. Willis Gibson made it to level 157 when he triggered the game's kill screen, which is when the Tetris code glitches and crashes the game. Only an AI has made this prestigious video game accomplishment. Well, there it is. We no longer need AI. But there it is. Uh, We've got (laughs) 13-year-olds. Oh, my God. Teenagers, help us all. (laughs) Thank you, Nicole. Now your ideas don't have to wait. Now they have everything they need to come to life. Dell Technologies and Intel are creating technology that loves ideas, loves expanding your business, evolving your passions. We push what technology can do so great ideas can happen right now. Find out how to bring your ideas to life at dell.com slash welcome to now. That's dell.com slash welcome to now. Thanks for being with us. If you're wondering where your food spending is going each month, look in your trash can. Rising food costs top the list of consumers' financial concerns. Here's Imani Moise, personal finance reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Imani, help us out. Yeah, if you're looking at the the average person's budget, um, usually housing is your top cost, followed by transportation and then food. If you're like me and you live in a big city and maybe you do a lot of public transportation, then food is your number is your number two biggest expense. Um, And obviously we've seen inflation over the last year or so. Food prices, especially grocery prices, have been sky high. So everybody is looking for ways that they could cut back and get some money back in their food budget. So one of the ways to do that, I thought was interesting, somebody has said in your story, stop shopping for like the non-existent version of yourself. Exactly. Like whether that's the person who eats a lot healthier than the real version of you actually does or someone who cooks more often than the real life version actually has time to do. Um, I think a lot of people do what's called aspirational grocery shopping. Maybe you hit the aisles and you feel inspired by different things. Um, but what that leads to is, you know, rotting food in your in your in your refrigerator or things in the back of a freezer that have been there for years and you've completely forgotten about yeah all right so uh we can help ourselves too by planning accordingly like what does that involve here Yes. So the best way to avoid any type of food waste is to have a plan. So the first step of 
making a plan is figuring out what you have. So go through your pantry, go through your freezer, go through your refrigerator, see if there's anything that needs to be used up before an ex expiration date, um, and see if maybe you could plan around things that you already have, so you only have to go to the store and buy a few more ingredients. Um, the other tip that I got was that people who plan for a week, based on what they're gonna eat for a week, tend to waste less than people who go grocery shopping for like a month, or maybe they go Costco shopping and they like they buy a quarter's worth of groceries and stuff like that. Uh, well, whatever you're in the mood for at the beginning of the quarter, you're probably not going to be in the mood for by the end of the quarter. So just it's better to take it one week at a time. Got it. We're speaking with Imani Moise, personal finance reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Her story is called That Rotting Bag of Spinach in Your Fridge. It's costing you. You know what I thought was interesting, too, was that uh, somebody in your story said, generally speaking, if your grocery list is written down by hand on a piece of paper, you're less likely to spend than if you like typed it digitally on the, on the notes app or something. Yeah, that's not generally speaking. That's actually research out of Drexel University. They did a study and they had groups of people who had digital lists versus, um, you know, your old fashioned paper list. And when you're writing down your list on paper, one, it's just thought of as a more kind of mentally intensive exercise. People's put more effort into paper lists um, and they then they treat the final product as if it's a true final product. Whereas if you sit down and make a, a digital list, people are usually just going off the top of their heads and they tend to feel like their digital list is less finalized because it's easy to kind of edit on the fly or while you're in the store and you get inspired by something, you could add a few things to your list. So because the paper lists are seen as less malleable, people tend to stick to them and that leads to fewer impulse purchases and save money. Never considered that. Thanks, Amani. Amani Moise, personal finance reporter at the Wall Street Journal. By the way, if you've missed anything, be sure to check out a podcast of today's show available every day on the This Morning with Gordon Deal app, plus Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. For all the ones who get it done, Granger is always there to help. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, 24-7 support, free access to product specialists, and experienced staff at over 250 local branches. Plus, they provide real-time product availability online and have sourcing specialists who can help you track down hard-to-find items. And their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call 1-800-GRANGER, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. An all-star team of the world's best journalists bring you the facts each and every morning. This is America's First News. This morning with Gordon Deal. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Thursday, January 4. Gordon Deal with Nicole Murray. Some of our top stories and headlines. Trump petitions the Supreme Court to overturn his removal from the Colorado ballot. Names redacted from newly unsealed Jeffrey Epstein documents. A surge in youth violence in Jackson, Mississippi leads to a curfew. The Wall Street Journal says the U.S. wants to base military drones in West Africa to stop the spread of terrorism. The head of Hezbollah warns of retaliation after the killing of a senior Hamas leader. The 49ers have nine players selected for the Pro Bowl and a Christmas miracle at a California dog shelter. That story in about 20 minutes. Well, the housing market is ready for a rebound in 2024, and experts are growing more and more confident that the clouds are finally parting. A look at their reasons from Leslie Cook, real estate editor at Money.com. Leslie, first revisit 2023's market. As you may be aware, we started the year on a pretty positive note. Mortgage rates were coming down. They, they were uh, 
just above 6%. And there was a, a really optimistic mood in the air. And then we hit the summer and mortgage rates started increasing and increasing until they almost got up to 8%. And there was real fear. And, and I'm talking about Freddie Mac rates here. There was a real fear that they would go up above 8% in late October. And uh, the effect of that was that a lot of potential home buyers felt uh, priced out of the market. Mortgage, monthly mortgage payments increased by several hundred dollars and it was just unaffordable. The market became extremely unaffordable and that just meant that home sales started to drop, uh, the number of people in the market uh, dried up, uh, very, very few home sales were occurring. But also home sellers, uh, especially the ones who had locked in a super low rate during the pandemic years, like in the 3-4% range, uh, unless they absolutely had to sell for some life-changing reason, uh, just weren't listing homes. So we had bad, low inventory, uh, really low inventory. We had very few sellers, even fewer, well, fewer buyers. And all that created this housing market where home prices remained high, it was expensive to afford a, a mortgage, and the market just kind of slowed to a dwindle, yeah. let's put it that way. Right. We're speaking with Leslie Cook, real estate editor at Money.com. We're talking about three signs the housing market is bouncing back. All right, so the first one here, affordability is improving. How come? Well, the good news is that mortgage rates have tumbled a little bit. Uh, they've gone, they've actually decreased by a little over 1% in the past two months. And we're currently under 7%. We're actually close to 6.5% in the Freddie Mac rate. And what that has meant is that the cost of financing a home has improved. And Somebody who takes out a mortgage today is going to save uh, on a $400,000 loan, uh, let's put it, because like, it's very specific to the amount of the, of the loan that you take out, uh, could save over $300 per month on oh, their wow. payments. And that's a big deal. Yeah, and that's, uh, I guess, kind of one flows into the other here. The second reason you said uh, new listings are up. Yes, because there were some buyers who did buy when rates were still uh, fairly high in the six or seven percent range and so and even some people who bought when the mortgage rates were in the five percent range high five percent range they're not as rate sensitive as somebody who got a mortgage at say two and a half percent or three and a half percent and so when mortgage rates start to come down a section of those homeowners that don't feel as locked in are are more likely to decide to sell uh, even when they don't absolutely have to. I mean, they might want to upgrade, they might have their, their salary may have improved, their financial situation may have improved, and they may just feel it's the right time okay. uh, to put their home on and upgrade and move somewhere else. Touch on uh, reason three, mortgage applications rebounding. Well, mortgage applications, they're still kind of sluggish. I'm not going to say that they're back anywhere near back to normal, but they have been ticking up uh, recently in the recent months, and it's primarily because mortgage rates have come down. And so as rates have lowered, 
then more people feel more comfortable that they can afford to invest in a home purchase. So applications are ticking up and the mood in the housing market in general is that we may see these trends continue into the new year. Thanks, Leslie. Leslie Cook, real estate editor at money.com. Today's mic drop is brought to you by Dell. For your small business needs, call a Dell Technologies advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Friday Eve. It is time now for the mic drop with this morning's Mike Gavin. Good morning. Well, we've often talked here about how wildlife is different down under with the creatures in Australia leveling up in size and scariness. Now they're doing things that even native Australians have never seen before. First, we start with the man who spotted a large crocodile in the water while he was fishing. Not that unusual, but things took a turn when the croc started swimming toward his boat, then launched itself up and into the vessel with its jaws wide open. Thankfully, the reptile fell back into the water before it could do any damage to the fisherman, though it did damage the rails of his boat. The man made it back to the boat ramp and told authorities about the very large and aggressive croc, something the experienced angler had never seen before. Officials responded by posting a sign, warning others about the animal as they attempt to locate it and monitor its behavior. I mean, they put up a sign, so I mean, you know, what can you say? What do you think the sign says? <laughs> yeah. Watch out for large leaping crocodiles? Yeah. I yeah. mean... Not, not you can't go out there because they're never going to restrict you, right, from, from going yeah, out there yeah. to fish, but uh, just watch out for the crocodile that's going to leap Goodness. into your boat. So uh, if you are the fisherman on this boat... Mm-hmm. When the crocodile initially launches itself, yeah, jaws wide onto, open. Jaws wide open. What do you do? Like he had a split second to decide yeah. before the crocodile, I guess, fell back into the water. Right. What am I going to do? Am I going to jump in the water? Yeah. And swim away from the crocodile now that it's in my boat yeah. and risk being chewed alive by another crocodile? Yeah. Or stay in the boat and fight. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah, that's that's those are two bad choices yeah. right there because you never want to be in the water with. Again, not this crocodile would certainly track you down. Yeah. It's pretty close, and then his, his friends are probably nearby as well. So, uh, yeah, you never want to be in the water, but at the same time, if it's if it's just you and, and the croc on the boat, and there's nowhere for either one of you to go, uh, that's not a good situation. Either. And now every time he enters the water mm-hmm. and casts his fishing line, yeah, he's watching his back, yeah. Thinking, Sorry. is this thing going to leap into my boat again? I'm going to stay home and watch it's... TV. That's, that's going to be me in that situation. Go home and watch some rugby. Yes. And only in Australia is finding the largest male specimen of the world's most poisonous spider considered good news. A potentially deadly Sydney funnel web spider dubbed Hercules was found on the central coast about 50 miles north of Sydney. The spider is 3.1 inches from foot to foot, surpassing the Australian Reptile Park's previous record holder from 2018 the male funnel web named Colossus. The spider features fangs that could pierce a human fingernail. Hercules will contribute to the Reptile Park's anti-venom program. Safely captured spiders handed in by the public undergo milking to extract venom, essential for producing life-saving anti-venom. Since the inception of the program in 1981, there has not been one fatality in Australia from a funnel web spider bite. Mm. Oh, good for them. I, I just want to I just want to uh, restate what you said here. This funnel web spider yes has fangs Mm -hmm. that could pierce a human fingernail yeah (laughs) yes so in the same story from down under right we've got a crocodile who's launched itself into a man's boat it has 
and now we've got this spider that can pierce your fingernail with one of its fangs. Which was already there. This is just the biggest I don't care. one they it's ever this, found. It's this, not like this is new. That part's not new. What's yeah. new is they're getting bigger. Yeah, right? okay. The crocodiles are getting bigger and more aggressive, and now the spiders are getting bigger. It's news to me. Yeah, okay. So I'll stay like on the 20th floor of any hotel I might ever visit in Sydney, for example, yeah. so I can stay far I'm away. I'm never leaving this. downtown Sydney if I go to Australia. Wow. Thank you, Mike. Now your ideas don't have to wait. Now they have everything they need to come to life. Dell Technologies and Intel are creating technology that loves ideas, loves expanding your business, evolving your passions. We push what technology can do so great ideas can happen right now. Find out how to bring your ideas to life at dell.com slash welcome to now. That's dell.com slash welcome to now. Hey, thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Thursday, trying to eat better in the new year. The New York Times put together some science-backed ideas for 2024. Number one, the Mediterranean diet really is that good for you. It's centered on fruits and vegetables, whole grains, legumes, olive oil, nuts, herbs, and spices. Number two, it's okay to drink coffee on an empty stomach. Number three, start your day with a healthy breakfast. It should contain a balanced mix of protein, fiber, and healthy fats. Number four, take good care of your gut, like prioritizing fiber and consuming a variety of plant-based and fermented foods. Number five, you probably don't need protein bars. They're full of sugar. Get your protein needs with whole foods like yogurt, nuts, beans, or eggs. Number six, how about this? Go easy on the dark chocolate. It's got some of the highest levels of lead and cadmium. Keep it to no more than an ounce per day. And number seven, pureeing fruits and vegetables in a blender will not strip them of their vitamins, minerals, or fiber. Eight minutes in front of the hour on this morning. Once again, here's Nicole Murray. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. Court documents connected to accused sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein have been released to the public. The first set of documents includes nearly 200 names, including Epstein victims and their testimonies, former employees, and other types of associates. High-profile names include Donald Trump, Prince Andrews, and Bill Clinton. An Epstein victim is on record saying Clinton likes them young, referring to young girls. The former president denies the allegations. ABC legal contributor Kim Whaley cautions against making those mentioned in the files guilty by association. Anybody who's listed in it here has not been charged with anything, and there's been no proof against them. So we have to be really careful about drawing conclusions about them. The judge who called for the documents released said a majority of the information was already public knowledge. Number two. The U.S. is calling on the U.N. Security Council to take action against Yemen's Houthi rebels attacking commercial vessels in the Red Sea. U.S. officials are also warning Iran. Houthi's financial backer, that tensions will rise if they continue to support the attacks. U.S. diplomat Christopher Liu at a U.N. Security Council meeting. The United States does not seek confrontation with Iran. Iran has a choice here. It can continue its current course or it can withhold its support, without which the Houthis would struggle to effectively track and strike commercial vessels. Houthis have carried out more than 20 attacks since November 19. Number three. The U.S. Department of Justice has sued the state of Texas and Governor Greg Abbott over a new law that allows law enforcement to arrest migrants who illegally cross the border. The federal lawsuit states that Senate Bill 4 is unconstitutional and violates the Supremacy Clause, which states that federal law supersedes all. House Speaker Mike Johnson after visiting the U.S. southern border. 
America is at a breaking point with record levels of illegal immigration. And today, we got a firsthand look at the damage and the chaos the border catastrophe is causing in all of our communities. The law is scheduled to take effect in March. A Florida woman came home to an unexpected discovery. Someone had stolen her concrete driveway. Amanda Brochu posted about the incident in a national Facebook group for realtors. The story went viral and the driveway is being replaced. Who? What? What? Somebody, Somebody steals a driveway? I guess like the concrete. My question is, how do you like? What do you do? Just pick up and walk away with it? Like no one's gonna be like, "Hey, what's that?" Hey, buddy, give me a hand with this. Yeah. Wow. Thanks, Nicole. Animal Shelter in California has announced it met its goal of finding new homes for every dog at the facility in time for the new year. The Second Chance Animal Shelter of Selma announced in a Facebook post that its dog kennels were completely empty for the first time ever. In its caption, the shelter wrote, "We did it." With happy tears in our eyes, all we have left to say is thank you, in all caps. The shelter had aimed in early December to find new homes for all of its 129 dogs by New Year's Eve. As the shelter's contract with the city was not renewed for 2024, UPI says the shelter bested its goal by two days. That'll do it for this hour. For Nicole Murray and Mike Gavin, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.